has spoken. God wants you to be an overcomer. God wants you to be more than a conqueror. Life can be hard, people can be cruel, uh, tragedy can occur, things can break, and yet God wants you to hold on to your faith, and more than that, have your, your, his, his love and the faith hold on to you, so you always rise up and you never go down. Now that is actually possible, it can happen, God wants that to occur for you. The heritage of God for everybody who loves God is found in Isaiah 54, verse 17, where it says, no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment will be condemned. Now, I got to tell you something. You can tell we're a white church. For all of you who are a part of the African-American community, I apologize. We sat quiet during that. Is that one you sit quiet in? Listen again, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Yeah, yeah. No, isn't that true? No weapon formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that rises up in judgment against you will be condemned by the Lord our God. Why? Because God loves you that much. God cares for you that much. God wants you to live that life. And yet there's all sorts of haters out there. There's all sorts of complainers. There's all sorts of mere-spirited people. Some are right there in your family. Some are in your office area. Uh, some are, are people that you have to live life with too often. And you find them tearing you down and tearing you down. And you know what God says? I want every word they speak to rise you up, raise you up. I want that to happen. I want you to grow. And you know what? God wants it for you. So after I pray, we're going to hear a song that's going to prepare us to study a man named Joseph who never, ever got down. You ready for this? Don't miss this. Super important. The Bible points out everybody's flaws. David's flaws, Abraham's flaws, Noah's flaws. Did you notice as you read this Joseph not one time complained. Not one complaining word came out of his mouth. He only believed in God. Now, knowing that, you and I can live a life like that too. And that gives you joy. And that gives you an ability to raise up and be used by God. Now, the song we're about to hear after I pray is a song that I love. It's called Skyscraper. Man, I love that song. And Demi Lovato sang it. And in some ways, uh, what I understand, it was a response to the incredible, unrelenting attack that the media took on this young girl. I don't know about you, but I can't believe what we think is okay today can be shot at and targeted young people, even though they're famous. And they were unrelenting to the point of almost breaking her. And some people got around her and said, every time they throw a brick at you, you use that to build up. You use that to stand on. That You use that to rise above. And that's what this song's about, that you become a skyscraper. So the more negative things that come your way, the more positive you become. The more attacks you get, the stronger you are. The more people try to take you down, the higher you fly. And by the way, are you ready? That's not just the message of the song. That's the message of the Bible. That's the message for you, and you need to have that. So let's pray. 
Father, I pray as Natalia comes to share this song, and even more as we dig into your word, that God, we hold on to the truths of it with all our might. And Lord, I know while it may not be easy, it is the good, the very good life that we live when we hold on to you and rise with faith in you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Awesome, Natalia. Oh, wow. Let her know how much we love her. I mean... Yeah, we um, got ready to do that song, and I really wanted to do it, and I thought Natalia would be the best one to do it for us, and then she got sick. She got really sick with that flu that's going around, and then she's pregnant, and she can't take anything. And so she, she, I saw her on Thursday, and I said, hey, you don't have to do this. She goes, I really, really want to. And so uh, she's not even feeling good right this second, but I got to say, I thought she nailed it. I thought she just really brought it. So really cool. Well, you know what? God wants you to live a life that says, again, I said, is an overcomer. And, and by the way, let me say this. This isn't meant to be a pep talk. This is meant to look at the truths of Scripture. We're in chapter 3 of the story where we start seeing God show us one particular individual who lived out of faith in an incredible way. And, and here's why. He was an incredible optimist. Now, where did this optimism come from? Faith is always optimistic. Faith is never pessimistic. You can't have faith and say negative things. That just doesn't work. You don't have faith and complain. And so Joseph ends up showing us that. And whenever I think about that, I think about different people I encountered who had those kind of attitudes. And one was a guy, when I was a student ministry pastor or a next generation pastor like Ronnie is, what happened is I had a guy in my youth ministry named Todd Messick. And Todd uh, just had this incredible optimism back then. I mean, he was just always up and, and always saw the good, and everybody loved being around him because of that. And um, I'll never forget that one time he walked up to me. Now, Todd surfed, so he was a surfer, and he even got sponsored and got hired by this surfboard shop. And so he came up to me, and he said, he said, Chuck, Chuck, you're not going to believe how incredible this is. And I said, what is it? He goes, this this guy, he's attacking me. And Todd was pumped. This guy's attacking me. And here's what happened. Todd, because he worked for the surfboard company, they would have to go out and surf in the morning, which he loved, of course. And so they came in from the, the surfing, he and the guys who worked there, and he's walking, carrying in his board, and this guy comes up and he starts cussing at him and screaming at him. And Todd looks at him, and, and not to be mean, and Todd, if you're watching, you know this is true, he was like the real surfer guy. So he's like, bro, bro, what are you doing? <laughs> chill, dude, chill. What is up? And, and the guy's like screaming and yelling. He goes, man, I am sick of you, Todd. I can't stand you. Man, every time I'm around you, it's praise God this, praise God that. You know, we're out there and the waves are incredible. And you come in going, praise God. God gave us these awesome waves today. And then when the waves are horrible, you come in going, praise God. We didn't get any waves so we could spend more time with them. You know, and he said, I am just so sick of you. And then Todd said, he looked at the guy and said, I want to ask you a question, man. When you take a rock and you throw into a pack of dogs, how do you know which one you hit? And the guy said, I don't know. And Todd said, the one that barks the loudest. And you're barking pretty loud, dude. Woof, woof. And uh, he said he, he walked around all day going, woof, woof. You know, and, and he goes, Chuck, isn't it great? He's against me. I'm getting to him. I'm getting to him. And that was his attitude. If you love Todd, then he loved you. And if you hated Todd, then he thought, hey, I'm getting to you. And he just he always saw the good. And you know what I want to tell you is that there's people in life who have that kind of, are you ready, faith in God? who see that and know that and believe it. And I have found for me that when I'm close to God, I know and believe great things are going to happen. To me, life is amazing. Uh, I found when I'm close to God and life is bad and horrible and hard and harsh, are you ready? I just believe greater miracles are coming. 
And the worse it is, the bigger the miracle. See, I, I don't know about you, but that's what makes it so amazing to be a Christian, to walk with God, is you know that's going to happen. And I believe with all my heart in Romans 8, verse 28, where it says that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and live their life according to his purpose. You see, if you love the Lord today and you're committed to being a person who lives completely dedicated to the purpose he has for you, God says, I promise, I promise, no matter what comes your way, no matter what anyone does, no matter what circumstances occurs. I promise, I promise that it will turn it for good. Sometimes God does amazing miracles with that. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't times of tears and sorrow and pain. It doesn't mean there aren't times that our, our gut isn't going to be filled with agony. It's just we know there's a joy that God gives us even in that, that great things are going to happen, and we can trust him in that and believe in that. And as we've studied the story, we've seen it. And hopefully you read chapter 3. How many of you have read chapter 3? Let's see. Okay, good. Wow, the mass majority. If you haven't read it, and, you've, and, and we want you to kind of get a copy and read it. And by the way, if you say, I can't afford it, then Bill Hadorn will buy you a copy. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'm kidding. We'll get you one. You, one's available for you. But we saw, you know what happened in chapter one? We saw man fall, but a redeemer's promised. In chapter one, we saw the depravity of man going to the greatest depths possible, and Noah rose up. And then in chapter two, we saw an elderly and fertile couple who longed for a child, and they didn't just get a child, they get to give birth to a nation. You see, that's what I want you to grab. With God, it always gets better and better and better. Why? Because we saw in chapter 1 that God, when he creates, only creates the very good. And we saw in chapter 2 that when he blesses, he only blesses in incredible ways. That's who God is. Now, by the way, that is for you. That's for you. God wants you to know you matter that much in his story. And the more we study his story, the Bible, the more we're going to see that. And while all those other stories we've looked at have been incredible, looking at very real, true people, we're about to look at a very real person that is very relatable to you and I, a guy named Joseph. And in the upper story, there's an upper story where God looks at everything. Joseph matters, and God sees him. And Joseph's family matters to get over here where God wants to get to. So that means the enemy's out to get him. And Joseph's going to go through some really, really tough times and hard, hard moments. Some that are heartbreaking, some that are creating agony, some that physically are grueling. He's going to go through all that, yet he doesn't give up believing in God who gives the very good. He holds on to it, he believes it, and you're about to see that if you haven't already seen it. He doesn't give up on believing in the God who holds the very good, even though he came from a dysfunctional family. Right now, if you're either in a dysfunctional family or you came from one, then take heart in Joseph. It's surprising how dysfunctional his family is considering the family tree. Abraham gives birth to Isaac, who gives birth to Jacob, who gives birth to Joseph. I mean, he's in the godly line of Abraham, and yet this family could not be more of a mess than it is. They could not be more dysfunctional than they are. The, the situation couldn't be worse. I believe with all my heart that if you think you have a bad family, Joseph's family has to at least equal that, if not surpass it. Part of it's because Jacob had 12 sons and a daughter. And out of the 12 sons and a daughter, he favored Joseph. That, that created incredible disharmony within the family. So much so did he favor Joseph, he gave Joseph a coat of many colors. And he gave his other brothers nothing. 
You want, you want to get your family mad? Gather the family together and give one person a gift and nobody won. You think so? You know what that'd be like? You know, at Christmas, you come into the family, all the little kids sit down. You go, hey, kids, are you ready for your present? They're like, yeah, yeah. Okay, here you go. You get a bouncy ball. You get a bouncy ball. You get a bouncy ball. You get an iPad. <laughs> Don't you think that kid's a target now? That's what he did. And, and, and Jacob, favoring one, was so unwise. And I'm going to use this word. I think it's accurate. So unloving that uh, he creates incredible disharmony. Now, now, Joseph actually adds to that. What does he do? God gives him two dreams. And in the dreams, he sees that he, his brothers will bow down and even his mother and father will bow down to him and pay homage to him and show you know, re revered respect for him. Now, what I want to tell you, though, is the mistake Joseph made is not in getting the dream and believing the dream. The mistake is in sharing it. Now, I want to say this to you. You ready? If you have a dream this week that all the people at your office are going to bow down to you, keep it to yourself. <laughs> right? Right? I mean, you don't go say that. And so what happened is Joseph ends up in trouble because of that. And so we see him in the midst of all this dysfunction, never give up on a God who gives the very good. We see him not ever down, catch this, not ever down or unbelieving, even in the midst of a family that is resentful and hateful because he still believes God gives the very good. So even in that moment when bitterness turns to hatred, he clings to God. You see, if you're with me in Genesis 37, you're going to see this, this growing hatred build. It starts out in verse 2 where it says, These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Now, we've got a problem here because Jacob has four wives and all these different kids from it, and they're all living together, and, and it's not blending as a family. It says, And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now, they get angry. They get upset because he's caught them doing something wrong, and he tells on them he's a whistleblower. And they don't appreciate it. And now resentment takes hold. Re bitterness begins to take root. And uh, Jacob adds to it, by the way, by making that his now number one job, spy on your brothers. Uh, then in verse 4, resentment grows to hatred because of the favoritism of Jacob. Look at verse 4. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. I have been around families who are like that. Uh, because of being a pastor, very often we end up in situations uh, very often where there's a death or a funeral because of a death. And you walk in the room and you can sense the tension. You can sense the anger. You can see how people can't say a kind word to each other even in a moment like that when they should be more caring. I, I've done... Funerals where they had to have the family come at different times because there was so much, so much anger and so much uh, vile resentment towards one another. I've seen that happen. I, I remember watching a, a, a father slam out the door because he was so upset at one of the other members of the family. I mean, this is a moment you should never act like that, and, and they did. 
And I know some of you know what it's like to sit in a home and wonder which word is going to come zinging at you that hurts and causes pain. And how there's always that cruel thing said, that cutting remark made. And, and, and you've just gotten to the point where it'd be better not to have anything said or if everyone would just be quiet because what happens in your home is this attack and attack and attack. And very often it's little things, but those little things are like that dripping faucet that just keeps peace from you and joy from you. Or maybe you're in a family where the email, you don't even want to open it or, or worse yet, it's a letter because you know the, the vehement words that are going to come. And that's what's happened here. This is supposed to be the godly family. And they, they are angry with one another and upset with one another. They can't even speak a kind word to one another. And then it grows even worse when Joseph gets the dreams and shares the dreams. In verse 8 it says, Then his brother said to him, Are you actually going to reign over, over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? And catch this. So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. By the way, I, I've seen that happen too where a person in the family gets an award or they get the raise or they get the nice house or they get the nice car and the, rather than the rest of the family celebrating, they're angry about that. Or the person who gets a nice house uses it to try to make you feel worthless. And uh, families do this. None of it's okay and none of it's good. The point I want you to get is that Joseph was from a family like that. And if your family has hurt you and wounded you, if maybe it's something right now you're living with, or maybe it's something you're trying as hard as you can to forget, and you don't want to carry the baggage of the past, I just want you to know that God doesn't hide this. But there's something amazing about a guy named Joseph who never gives up at all. Now what happens is his brothers now are teaming up against him. And whenever one person's mad or one person's upset, that's bad. But when the mob mentality sets in, it always goes worse and it escalates. Because now their resentment goes to the point of murderous attitudes, murderous words, murderous thoughts, and nearly murderous actions. Why? Because now they're teaming up. And I've seen that happen over and over again. I've seen how one person's mad and they get somebody else with them and the complaining takes off. And what happens is, is it just grows beyond the perspective it should because we do that with other people. We fuel the fire. And by the way, godly people don't do that. Godly people try to step away from it. But, but we could do that. And so now the brothers are, are egging each other on and urging each other on. And in, down in verse 19, look what happens. It says, they said to one another. See, Joseph is walking towards them. And it says, they said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Now then come and let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we will say a wild beast has devoured him. Then let us see what has become of his dreams. And so they grab him and they beat him. And they throw him into the pit, with the, the, telling him they're going to kill him. And we're told later in Genesis that they heard him crying. They heard him pleading. They heard him begging. And, and they sat and they ate and rejoiced over his plight. By the way, again, don't miss that abuse in families happens all the time. Not just verbal, but physical. And then... What do they do? They decide not to kill him. They decide to traffic him. One of the great evils of our day is not new. It's sex trafficking and human trafficking. And they take Joseph and they sell him into a trafficking situation and actually send him away and lie about the fact to their father that, that he's been sold. They say he's been killed. 
This family is a horrible family. And again, it blows my mind that Joseph does nothing but cling to God and hold on to God and believe that God gives the very good. And we're about to see that more than ever. But I want to tell you something that I want to ask you to think about with me. There are three lessons we learn from Joseph, and I want you to write these down. Now, I want to say this. These three are very meaningful to me. I, I am just etching them in my heart and mind. And I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. Uh, but you decide if they're for you. I believe I need these. And, and so there's three lessons we learn from him that we, I don't think we should ever let go of. And I know I never want to let go of. What do I learn from Joseph? Number one, he let his problems prepare him for his destiny. He let his problems prepare him for his destiny. Now, now what do we mean by that? You see, in the upper story, God looked at Joseph and said, Joseph, you need to be a strong leader when you reach here. You need to be a wise man. You need to be a a man who's hardened. You need to be strong in a good way, not a bad way. And you need to have knowledge in agriculture and knowledge in leadership and knowledge in the courts of Pharaoh. Now, right here in this part of the story, none of that's happening. He's being pampered by, by Jacob. You know what? When you have a child who's pampered, you don't end up with a strong person of integrity and character. And and when you have a young boy who's pampered, he doesn't end up turning into the man he should be. And so if God lets him stay with Jacob and Jacob pampers him, he'll never be the leader he needs to be over here. And so God has to harden him. Now, by the way, I I don't know if you you see that happening a lot. I do. And here's where I'm going to make a confession. I'm the one who pampers in our family. Pam's the tough one. You know, Liam, you know, Liam runs and falls. You know what Pam says? You're not hurt. Get up. And I'm like, whoa, what? No. And so I watched the other day. He ran and fell and he looked around and I wasn't there. He got up and played. Another day he falls. He sees me. Ah, you know, he cries and goes nuts. And you know why? Because I'm going to pamper him, right? But Pam's like, no, no. Now, if he's genuinely hurt, she'll, she'll let him, but, but she wants him to toughen in a good way. And you know what? God looked at, at Joseph and said, well, if I leave you here, you're in trouble. Now, the, he got toughened. He was not just sold to traffickers. These people were horrible. And in Psalm 105, verses 17 through 19, we don't know how long he was with them, but they tortured him. It wasn't a short period of time. He was actually being tortured. And it says in verse 17, God sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. God, because he loved him in the upper story and he was too important to the upper story, said, I can't have you being pampered. I'm going to have these things occur in your life. Now, God didn't cause the evil. He goes, I'm going to use it, though, and I'm going to use it to make you stronger. Are you ready? The tough things you and I endure can make us stronger and can make us better, but we've got to choose to be better and not bitter. You see, God wanted that for him. I am... I look at some of the things that have happened in my past that have made me, I believe with all my heart, a better person today. One of the toughest moments in my life by far was when my oldest son turned away from the Lord. And uh, I appreciate all of you who have been praying for him. And and by the way, you know, when he fell away and and turned away and I said, Rich, what are we going to do? I mean, I can't keep, it's it's no way it's going to stay secret. And he said, I know you need to tell. So I have his permission these times to do it. 
But um, to stand in front of the church and say, hey, man, I've always thought I had a perfect family, and now it's not. And my heart broke, and there's nothing to me almost worse in life than that. And uh, I got to tell you, to have people come around me and pray for me, the elders of CCV gathered around and laid hands and prayed. And, and I want to say this, I think I became a better pastor to people who are hurting because I was hurting. I think I, I'm less quick to judge. I'm, I'm more in tune to cry because of that pain. When I've lost different relatives through death, including my father and my mother, I mean my grandmother and my, um, my grandfather, who we were, I was very, very close to, each one of those made me more sensitive to when you lose someone you love. It's made me better. Um, I just know that God has used moments in my life that have been the most heartbreaking ever just to change me. Uh, one of the big ones, we were in a horrible car accident, and it just changed the way I look at life. And, and, and God uses those when we let him to make us better and stronger. Because in the upper story, by the way, again, I mean this. This isn't a pep talk. You matter. You matter to God in the upper story. And so when he looks at you, he wants to use these times to prepare you for the destiny he wants you to grab hold of. So Joseph let his problems prepare him for his destiny. You see, God in the upper story knew that way over here, he had to know agriculture. But being the son of a shepherd, he never would. So he had him sold to a man named Potiphar, and then Potiphar taught him agriculture. Uh, Potiphar also taught him how to act in the courts of Pharaoh because over here he had to know how to act in the courts of Pharaoh. And then he still needed to know how to lead difficult people. So God moved into a prison and, and he caused him to be a leader in a prison. And I want to say without a shadow of a doubt, probably leading people who are in prison is a difficult thing to do. Do you think? And so then before he's ever given this role, he knows the courts of Pharaoh. He knows how to lead difficult people and he knows agriculture. And God used all of that to get him to where he was. It was all used and planned by God in an amazing way. So here's the question I want to have for you. What is God preparing you for? What is it that he looks at? And if you say my life is tough, I think that means you have a greater calling than ever. I think there's more for you. I think it's going to be far more incredible. Every disappointment, every difficult time is there. And you might say, but every door seems to close on me. Then God is opening big windows for you. So just get ready for that. And I love that you know it. The second thing is this. The second lesson is he did not let disappointment justify disobedience. He did not let disappointment justify disobedience. This is big. Because I'll tell you, I do. Anybody else do that? Uh, I got to be honest, I'll get super confessional here. It might not sound like it, but I'm going to tell you. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I just was having a tough time with some people, and I was very frustrated, and I was just almost angry about it. So you know what I did? I, on the way home, I stopped and grabbed a half gallon of Dryer's ice cream and went on, sat on the couch and ate it. Because they made me. They made me. I ate the whole thing. Now, is that, it's not okay. I'll tell you a lesson I learned. Are you ready? Whenever my mind and my mouth are motivated by frustration, I'm never godly, loving, or correct. 
God's been showing me that whenever I let my mind or mouth be motivated by frustration, I'm never godly, and I'm never loving, and I'm never correct. I'm always wrong. Now, now you ready? See, we can't let other people or other instances or circumstances allow us to justify disobedience in God. We can't let disappointment do that. And we see that happen way too often. The, the parent that screams at their child because you made me act like that. Or the person who's at work and they're taking money they shouldn't take. Or taking things from their company they shouldn't take because they're not appreciated. Or, or the, the, the person who sits at home self-medicating with alcohol or drugs. Because life is hard and how other people are acting. Or the girl who gives their body away to a guy because of how her parents treated her. And uh, you, you just start seeing that occur. The, the man who has an affair because his wife's not loving and caring. And we just can't do that. We can't let our morality and our moral compass be based on what happens to us in life. We've got to have a greater calling than that and a truer sense of direction. What happens to Joseph is he's, he's put into the care of Potiphar. Potiphar buys him. And, and a lot of people aren't aware of this. Potiphar was the captain of the bodyguard. Now, what does that mean? He was the head of the secret service. And in Genesis 39, verse 1, we're told a Hebrew word. Potiphar was a Saris. A Saris is a eunuch. It means he went through a surgical procedure so he could not be intimate with the woman. Now, why is that? He probably, more likely than not, started rising up in the courts of Pharaoh, and especially in the bodyguard of Pharaoh. So if you have a bodyguard, you need to make sure that, number one, they can't have an affair with any of the women you have. But number two, they can't be seduced. By taking this away, no woman could seduce this person into turning on Pharaoh. And so that would be the more customary thing to do. Well, then when he came the head of all the bodyguard, he would have been given a position of prominence, power, and possessions. He would have got lots of possessions. One of those possessions would have been he would be given a beautiful wife. You might say, well, why? He can't do anything with her. It's a trophy wife. And she was probably very beautiful. And, and so he's bought and he's brought into the home of Potiphar. And he starts out being just a menial slave. Then he rises to being Potiphar's personal servant. Then Potiphar sees in him something and puts him as the overseer of his house. And he sees that God's blessing him. So he makes him the overseer of all that he possesses. And he has oversight and power over all his money and in the influence of his position. And all of his possessions except for two things. One is his food and the other is his wife. Uh, last night in our story group, Casey Butler pointed out, and I never noticed, that he wouldn't let Joseph have charge of his food, which means this guy probably ate a lot. You know, he said, you're not having my food or my wife. Those are mine. And uh, what happens is he becomes very comfortable in that house. Even though he's still a slave, he has amazing comfort. But God needs him out of there. He needs them out. And, and here's what I want you to grab. So God is not going to cause this to happen. He's going to use what's going to occur. And we see it happening in Genesis 39, verse 6, where Potiphar's wife begins to come on to him. In verse 6, it says that Potiphar left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with that, him, he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and said to him, Lie with me. 
But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns into my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. And then this is worth underlining. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? How could I do this great evil and sin against God? You know, most of us would scream out, Joseph, what are you saying? How could God let all this evil happen to you? Joseph, you're not with your family. Your brother's turned on you. You're a slave. You're never, ever going to marry. You're never going to have love. Here's this woman. After God put you through all this, why not? You know why? He would not allow his disappointment to justify disobedience. He said, I would never, ever turn against God that way. And then she keeps trying for him and keeps trying for him. And one day he's wearing a tunic and she grabs at it and he gets so concerned. He turns and runs and it's torn away and he runs from the house completely nude and she screams rape and it looks like rape. And he goes from very comfortable slavery position to a horrible prison existence, falsely accused. And by the way, you're going to see in a moment he doesn't get down, which is just amazing to me. But, but we just got to grab. He, he won't do that. He, he's not going to let circumstances or someone or something justify disobedience in God. He won't let his disappointment justify his disobedience. And time and again, that happens. Time and again, people choose that. There was a man who uh, got married to a woman and they had kids and their marriage just did not go well. And it seemed like there was always tension. He felt like she never respected him. She never appreciated him. And then one night, right before he used to leave for a convention in Atlanta, they get into this horrible fight. I mean, they're screaming and yelling, and he's just had it with her. And when he goes to bed, he's laying in bed thinking, I can't believe it. And she just doesn't, she, she doesn't show love to me. She doesn't care for me. How do I get stuck with her? Then when he gets up in the morning, she looks at him and said, you could drive yourself to the airport. And he's like, wait, what? Man, I'll miss my flight. And, and what are you doing? And, and, she just, you, and she walks out. And now he's hectic and gets in the car. And the whole way down, he's just making a, a mental inventory over how horrible this woman is. How did he get someone like this? How did it go this way? And, and then when he, he finally makes his flight, barely making it, to fly to Atlanta, he's thinking in his mind, you know what, she just, man, I'm sick of this, of her attitude. I, and he starts thinking about it. You know what, you know who does, does more around the house? I do more around the house. Who does more for the kids? I do more for the kids. And on top of that, I work. And I buy her all these things. And all she can say to me is, why do you travel so much? And then he goes, you know, I, I just, he was just infuriated. No respect, no love, no affection, and no appreciation. So he gets this convention, a large convention in Atlanta, and he's in a bar, and a call girl approaches him. And she's beautiful, saying all the right things. So they go up to his hotel room. And he feels like at least someone cares for me, but he's got to pay for that. And then when she leaves, he is devastated with guilt. He can't believe he's done it, so he picks up the phone and he calls his wife. And when she answers, she's a different woman. She's crying. She said, I can't believe you called. I don't deserve it. She goes, I've been thinking about it. I have been a horrible wife to you. You don't deserve to be treated the way you do. I don't show any appreciation. I am so sorry. And if you 
if you would, I, I would do anything to get our marriage right. I, I cannot tell you how, how I'm just ready to do whatever it takes so you could be treated right and we can have the marriage we need. And he's on the phone thinking about what he just did. Well, when he lands at the airport, she's waiting. She had someone drive her there. And, and then they get in the car and drive home. And, and when they get home, she's had someone take care of the kids so they can be alone and talk and share. And then they become very, very intimate. And they have an, a, an intimate experience like he'd always wish they would. But that night, two things occurred. One is she became pregnant with her next child. The other is he gave her a sexually transmitted disease that she would never get over. And she would give that disease to the baby. Now, when he shares this story, he talks about how he can't believe that he gave into that, especially because he was a Christian. Now, their marriage, they held together. It wasn't easy. But he let disappointment justify disobedience. And, you know, I want to say, you might say, well, I only do it in little ways. Little things can matter. We just need to have an attitude, period. We won't do that. And here's why. I'm not trying to be condemning, and I'm not even trying to create paranoia. I'm saying something I believe the Bible shows us. Cling to God, trust in God, have faith in God, and then in the end, you're going to have a joy from God that's your strength. And you matter too much to God for this. And if you've ever allowed yourself recently to give into this, know that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to forgive you, cleanse you, and love you. But He wants you not to live that kind of life anymore. He wants you and I to choose to be better, and we can be. That's his desire for us, and we have to grab that. Then it comes to our third lesson. Don't miss this. The third lesson's this. He did not let present circumstances kill his dreams. He did not let present circumstances kill his dreams. Now, this blows my mind. I want you to think about this, because what happens, he ends up being put in jail, and then being Joseph, he rises up to oversee the jail, and then in Genesis 40, Potiphar shows up, and Potiphar now puts him ahead of a special section of the jail where he oversees the highest level of governmental prisoners, where this is where he learns more about Pharaoh, more about the court, and one day, Joseph walks in, and he sees a cupbearer and a baker, and they look sad, and do you remember what he said? He goes, why are you sad? No, think about this. The answer's pretty easy. We're in prison. Joseph's like, wait, wait, why are you sad? Joseph, we're in prison. I don't get it. I'm not sad. Why would anybody be sad? We're in prison. Let's sing. You know, and uh, I, I, do you catch what he did? Like he's shocked anybody would be sad in prison. And, and then they say, well, well, we had a dream last night. And, and we don't know what to make of it. And look at Genesis 40 verse 8. Then they said to him, we have had a dream and there is no one to interpret it. And then Joseph said to him, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell it to me, please. Now, now why is that a big deal? Joseph is saying, hey, God gave me dreams and they're going to come true. Did you catch that? Now, you might say, well, Joseph, are you crazy? God's dream said you would rise up to the point where you're even your mom and dad and everybody would see you of such importance they would just honor you. You're in prison. You've been beaten. You're falsely accused. And he goes, yeah, but I got some dreams from God. You know, you ready? I, you got dreams from God. You might say, well, my life is tough and I've had this occur and this ruinous things happen. But you know what God said to you? You're not just a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. You might say, but man, we've had some devastation that happened my way and I'm not sure about a family or a friend. And then you know what Paul said in that moment? But thanks be to Jesus Christ who always leads us in triumph. 
That's what Bible says. And you know what I got to say? Let's start trusting the Bible more than our feelings. Let's start believing in God more than self and do that. Joseph did. And so he didn't let present circumstances kill his dream. And so what happens is he gives the interpretation of the dream. He tells the cupbearer, you're going to be restored. Uh, the baker gets a little different thing. <laughs> you're going to get killed. But uh, so forget the baker. He, anyway, cupbearer and, and Joseph. Two years later, two years after he does this, Pharaoh has a dream. And what happens to Pharaoh is Pharaoh doesn't have anyone to interpret it. So the cupbearer says, I know a man who can. And they bring Joseph in. And, and, and right in front of Pharaoh, I love this, Genesis 41, 16. Joseph told Pharaoh, saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. He still believes in his dreams. He still believes that what he was told at 17 is going to come true all these years later. He trusts in God in that. And, and he, because of that, he's raised up to a position of prominence to be the number two man in the court. Now, here's what's really cool. Are you ready? Had he risen up in the normal channels, the highest likelihood is he would have been made a eunuch. Because he got put there going through slavery to false accusation to prison to this point, he doesn't get made a eunuch. He gets a wife. Is God good or what? Yeah, I, I mean, seriously, think of it. He gets kids, he gets the whole thing. Now, you might, I want you to think about that. God's way was way better. But God, up here in the upper story, said, I'm going to get you there, and he got him there. And then, what was the dream? The dream is his brothers would bow down to him. And his brothers end up coming because the famine in the land is so horrible. They show up, and they don't even know it's Joseph. He's wearing makeup, and, and, and he's older, and so they, he look, and they think he's dead. And, and, and then when they come in, he has the power to kill them on the spot. And when they realize who he is, he says this about his life, Genesis 45, verse 7. God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it is not you who sent me here, but God. You didn't do a thing to me that God wouldn't let happen, that God wouldn't use. I'm not blaming you. Do you realize what God did with all the things you thought was bad? Later on, when Jacob dies, they're afraid he will now take vengeance. And in Genesis 50, verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result and to preserve many people alive. What is the chapter you're in right now? I believe there are some of you here, your chapter right now in this moment is called divorce. But let me tell you, it's just a chapter. There's a new chapter coming and a new day coming where you'll rise up and find joy like you can't imagine. For some of you, it's called loneliness. John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress called loneliness the slew of despond. It's like a quicksand that you just can't seem to be free of. It just pulls you and pulls you down. And God says, I'll set you free from that. There's a new chapter coming. For some of you, it's financial failure. And God says, but from that, you'll arise in a way you can't imagine. For some of you, it's shame or heartbreak or betrayal. And you know what? God is going to take that and turn it into a testimony. A testimony of his love and grace and mercy and joy because you've never gone so far that the power and blood of Jesus Christ can't set you free. God wants that for you. I've shared this a little bit before, but I, in the context that we talked about, let me bring it back up again. When Pam and I were here, we were the, I was the youth pastor and we did youth ministry here. And then God called us to Tucson. And we started a church and it started to take off. And then two men in the church began to, uh, but they betrayed me. 
They targeted me. They started attacking me. The, the things they said I were cruel. And I remember I could never get them to sit down and meet. I never to this day know what spawned it. But they tried to rally people. And I, uh, I, I was given to worry at that time. So I called Tim Coop and I said, Tim, I don't know what to do. And Tim said, well, I'll pray for you. But there's a man in Tucson named Ron Keller at Pantano Christian Church. They're going through a revival. I'll arrange for you to go see Ron. and He'll be a good friend, a good help. Well, I remember, I'll never forget, I walked in and, and talked to Ron, and Ron said, hey, I've heard of you as a youth pastor. I didn't know you were not a youth minister anymore. And he said, well, have a seat. I literally don't, I, I, I never forget, I sat down and the phone rang. And Ron picked it up, and the person on the other end said, Ron, um, you got to come back to uh, what would later be called CCV, Christ Church of the Valley in San Gabriel Valley. They said, Ron, we're on, on the brink of financial disaster. The church is being split. And uh, they said, it's your home church, and there's no one else we can turn to but you. And when Ron hung up, he said, I don't know how I could leave all this. I mean, it's a revival like you can't believe. And, and we ended up spending the next two hours talking about whether Ron should go or not. We never talked once about my issue, not once. And when I came home, Pam said, how was it? I said, believe it or not, great. <laughs> then the phone rang, and Ron said, hey, I think I'm going to go. Would you be my youth pastor? And I said, No. You just told me how bad the church is. I don't want to go there. You made mine look pretty good. But then God began to move and, and orchestrate. By the way, uh, lots of things occurred. Let me tell you one. I remember thinking, okay, God, I think you're calling us. But how could I leave this church? I don't know who will take it. And I, within a few hours, I get a call from a man named Ed, who's one of my dear friends. And he said, hey, my, Debbie and I are going to be swinging through Tucson um, I had a dream I want to tell you about. The night before, he had a dream that he would be the pastor of the church I was at. But he didn't know how to come and tell me, Chuck, I think God's telling me that I'm supposed to take your spot and you got to go, you know. And, but he didn't know about the other things. And I thought, this is just you, Lord. So I go to CCV and I assist Ron. I, I just support him. As he leads this church, his home church, where he met his wife and got married, and was called into ministry, he leads them to a place not only of, of out of disaster, he leads them to a place of flourishing. Now, a lot of you know this, some of you don't, but fast forward 19 years, and I'm sitting over there, and I get a call from Crossroads that says, hey, this is your home church. We're on the brink of financial disaster. Would you come and help be with us during that time? And my first thought was, how could I leave all this? But I had learned. God had taken me. Now, you ready? Had those two guys not betrayed me, I wouldn't be standing here right now. And I don't know. I love being here right now. And I, I really sense that we're a church that loves each other. But let me say as clear, I really love you. I love this church. I love your heart. I love your passion. And I had no idea it could be this amazing to be in a church. And uh, that's how I feel. But God prepared me for this moment, and God's preparing you for your moment and your time and your destiny. And I'm hoping you're willing to grab hold of it. And we're about to go into a time we call our time of invitation. So I'm going to ask that for the next five minutes, no one slip out. It really is that important. Here's why. We don't want to distract anybody right now who God's got a special message for you. 
We want you to know, every one of you to know, that God has a calling in your life and you matter. And in this story, you're a vital part of God's story. But I also want you to know this. There's some of you here today who you've never given your life to Christ. And today's the day to do it. You might ask, how do I do that? And here's the answer. You pray and tell them. And that's why this time is important. In a moment, I'm going to ask all of our church family to start praying for people who need to make this decision. And then I'm going to ask anybody here right now who's ready to say yes to God, I'm going to ask you to whisper a prayer with me right where you sit. It's almost like we're doing your wedding vows, but you're doing it to God. And you're saying to God, I'm ready to say yes to you. I want to be yours. And you're asking God to come and touch you and love you. And this might sound odd. It might sound weird. But are you ready? God loves you so much. He loves you so much that if you've never met him, he wants to come and have you meet him. He wants to come into your life, come into your heart. He wants to adopt you as his child. You just need to tell him you're ready to say yes. And I'm hoping today there are many, many of you who do. Today there are some of you who are Christians. You need to come back to God. Maybe you're not on fire for the Lord. It's just kind of dissipated, but you need to grab back hold of it. Maybe you've forgotten how important you are to God and you need to be reminded of that and come back to him. Maybe you've blown it. Maybe you've done some things you shouldn't have done, but I want to tell you, if you have, let me be as clear as I can, and I know this is true. God could not love you more than he does right now. He loves you. He just wants you back. So I want to tell you, I'm hoping some of you come back. The other thing right now is there's some of you here who are hurt. I mean, we talked about pain, and you've got it. God is the great healer, and I would love for you to open up to him, and when you leave this place, you leave all the baggage behind. How do you do that? You just make this commitment. Let's go to God in prayer right now. God, you truly have become our father, our Abba, our dad. And I ask him right now, Lord, I know you're here, and I know there are people here you want to touch, and we're asking for them. For some, it's going to be hard to let go of some things, but they need to let go. And if they would open up their hands to you, for some of them, Lord, you'd take hurt, you'd take pain. For some, you'd take away the thoughts and the words that have defined them too long. Because, Lord, they're great and they're incredible and they've been told by too many people they don't have worth, but they're priceless to you. And God, I pray they would know it. And for the person who's been hurt that way, the person who's been attacked that way, time and again, and they've wondered why, why them? God, I pray today they would know that the real why is why would you send your son for them? It's because you love them. And now, right now, I pray they're gonna open up to the love and the care and the healing in their heart. Father, for the person here who's, who's made some decisions and, and took in some steps and actions they shouldn't have taken, I pray for a girl who's here today and she did something she shouldn't have done because she was hurt. And God, today, she can be made pure and whiter than snow. She can feel innocent and clean again. Father, I pray for a person who's sitting here and one of the stories I told just was too much them. And God, you brought it to my mind because you wanted to get a message to them that they're loved and they can come back to you. Father, for the, the person who's here today and they, they sense there really is something for them, but they need to dedicate their life to you, I pray they would. And for the person who needs to open up for the first time, I pray, God, your spirit is drawing right now. Right now, while we're praying, I'm going to lead a prayer. And if you're ready to say yes to God, oh, I want you to pray it with me. 
Let's just say it together. Here it is. Ready? Just say these words if you're ready to say yes to God. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me and to cleanse me from all my sin. To heal me from all my hurt and all my pain. To free me from my past and from my fears and from myself. And I want this and I want you. So I say yes. Just get those words out. I say yes. Yes, I want you and yes, I want the life you have for me. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love. Please fill me with your spirit and help me live the life I was made to live and help me be the person you've made me to be because I'm yours. I'm yours now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you pray that prayer, praise God for you.